Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. We're here for a Bible study. If you would, open your Bibles and stand with me. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at the whole chapter um, this morning. It's 27 verses, but I'm only going to read for us right now just the first 12. I figured, I'm like, should I read the whole chapter? Should I not? And I'm just going to read the the first 12 to get us started. But we stand to honor God's word in the reading of his word. It says this in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 9. Apostle Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any times, or who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. You may be seated. Two weeks ago in our study, we saw that the Corinthian believers had asked the Apostle Paul a question about gray areas in life. Their particular question revolved around the eating of meat that was first offered to idols. And their question was something like, hey, if a Christian eats meat that was first offered to idols, is that believer somehow like participating in the worship of that idol? And there were strong believers who were mature in their understanding of scripture They knew that idols were nothing. They weren't real. There was nothing to them. They're just wood. They're metal. They're carved by human hands. They knew that there was only one God, one Lord. And therefore, their conclusion was this. Why would we waste good meat for a silly superstition? That's my own words, my own interpretation. And Paul told them, hey, you guys, you church in Corinth, you're right in your doctrine but they had an incomplete understanding of their practice. 
Because while you had strong believers with right doctrine enjoying this meat and they had every right to partake of it, but at the same time, you also had weaker believers who were immature in the faith and not as advanced in doctrine and they were stumbled by the mere thought of this meat. Because for them, even the smell of the meat brought them back into a lifestyle of idolatry and pagan worship. These weaker believers most likely came into faith in Jesus from having a background of pagan worship and idol worship. In their former life, they worshiped these idols. They worshiped these false gods. They sacrificed to these idols. They were in bondage to them. And now they're seeing, they're watching believers in Jesus eat this meat like it's no big deal, and it's not, but eat this meat, and they're stumbled by it. They're like, well, is there more to these idols than we thought? Maybe we should go, you know, incorporate their doctrine into our new doctrine and all of that. So the question was really this, what do you do? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? Like, well, so with that knowledge, what do we do? Like, where do you go from here? Does the mature believer just stop eating meat altogether because these weaker believers can't handle it? Do we call the weaker believers um, to kind of man up, if you will, and get better doctrine quicker because it's impending on my freedom to participate at the local barbecue? Paul's answer to them is this, love. Love. Paul says, so what if you have good and sound doctrine? So what if you have these freedoms and these rights to indulge in eating this meat? But if you don't have love for your weaker brother in Christ, then you don't have anything. And you, though, who are weaker, if you find out that someone's convictions aren't in the same place as yours, and you find out that, oh, man, your brother or sister went to that local barbecue and they ate that meat, you're still called to love them as well. But Paul's greatest issue in chapter 8 was with the stronger believers, that they were arrogant and they were proud in their freedoms, and they weren't showing care, love, concern towards their weaker brother's and sisters in Christ. And Paul would say in chapter eight, verse 13, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Paul says, guys, I love meat. Like, I love it. It's part of my daily life. Like I have this right. I have this freedom, but I will drop any of that in a second if it helps build up my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, as I said last week, Paul is not talking about abstaining from eating meat for the sake of the judgmental and legalistic believer. You need to note that. There are those believers that have somehow, maybe some in this room have twisted their theology. They somehow got to a place where they think that their faith, their right standing before God, and that God was more happy with them because they abstained from participating in certain practices that weren't a sin or a non-sin issue. And to them, anyone who ate that meat, you're just outright a pagan sinner. You have no place in the church kind of a thing. And so Paul's not saying you must abstain from eating meat because some legalist in the church might judge you for participating. No, no, no. Paul's primary point is this. Abstain from that meat, even if you just abstain from it when you're around that weaker believer, if they will stumble back into that way of their former life. 
Example that we used last week, very controversial one, was looking at alcohol. Should you drink alcohol in front of a weaker believer who is, not, who is struggling to be sober in life? The answer, give it to you black and white. It's not gray. Absolutely not. There is no right where you would ever have that freedom to do so. Can you drink a glass of wine at home with your dinner or around those who don't have issues with alcoholism or drunkenness? Paul says you have that right. Not my word. It's God's word. Just consider others. Be on the lookout for how you can better serve and love one another. And that's why he says, listen, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That was his heart. All out of love. How can I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? That was his focus. And here in chapter 9, Paul continues to make his case. Remember, this is not set up in sections and chapters. This is one continuous letter. And Paul says in verse 1, in our verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So in light of the Corinthian believers demanding their rights and their freedoms, what Paul is doing in this chapter is setting himself up to be an example for them of what laying down your rights out of love looks like. And here in verse one, he starts by making the case for who he is, his calling in life. Some believe that he, this is all about defending his apostolic authority, and he might have been, but there's so much more to it. But he's laying out his calling. Who has the Lord called him to be? And he, and he lists out four rhetorical questions that deserve a resounding yes, reminding the Corinthians of his calling. He says, am I not free? In asking this, Paul is saying, hey, I am under only one authority, and that is of Jesus Christ. Nothing else holds me captive. He says, am I not an apostle? You know, that word apostle means one sent under commission. Someone with a mission from God. And we know biblically that Paul meets all of the requirements to be an apostle. And so he had that calling. He's reminding them of that calling. He says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? This was one of the qualifications of being an apostle is that you have to see the risen Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, guys, I've seen him. And he says, are you not my work in the Lord? Like, guys, the proof is in the pudding. Look at how the Lord used me in your lives. Look at you. Look at you, church in Corinth. And he says in verse 2, if to others I am not an apostle, at least to you I am, or at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul is, Paul is saying, is like, there are others out there, maybe other churches to whom I am not an apostle to them. I didn't plant them. I didn't minister to them. And, that's, and they're right. But to you, Paul says, don't forget that no one had come to you before. No one had brought to you the good news of the gospel until I did. And you, out of all of the churches that Paul had planted, he says, you, Corinth, you fractured, divided, arrogant, foolish, you. He says, you are the seal of my apostleship. Paul is saying, if anyone wants evidence that I am an apostle, look at Corinth. Like he viewed them like as a, as a trophy on his shelf. Like, to be honest, probably not the church I would have picked. <laughs> and you're like, for those of you who have been with us through this study, through all nine chapters or will be nine chapters, it's like, yeah, you know. Like, why Corinth? Ephesus would have been nice. <laughs> why Corinth? 
Paul says, you guys are the seal of my apostleship. You know, it reminds me of when I was just thinking, why would he say this? I think it's chapter five, Pastor Doug, is his last message to us, um, talks about Paul being that spiritual father. That's why. Because he is dedicated, the apostle Paul is dedicated to the love and service of Jesus and not the results of people. So Paul, again, he's reminding them of his apostleship. And now he moves to talk about his rights of being an apostle. Apostle comes with rights and privileges and freedoms. And he says, okay, if we're going to talk about rights here and who has them, let me show you something. And we're going to go a little quicker um, through this. He says in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Again, he's laying out three apostolic rights. And he claims, verse 4, basic provision. Apostolic right, food and drink. Verse 5, enough. The right was enough to have enough to provide for his family. Verse six was the freedom to focus his time and energy on the ministry of the word and prayer. Very simple, very simple. And Paul says in verse five that all of the other apostles, including the brothers of Jesus, they were able to take their wives with them on their missionary journeys, on their apostolic journeys. And this would mean that the the provision and support that they received was enough not just to care for them as an individual, but their whole family. Now, the book of Acts tells us that Paul often worked as a tent maker to ensure that no one would feel obligated to compensate him for his time. And and by doing that, most likely, it would have depleted his energy and his time, time that he could have spent teaching and preaching and studying and praying and ministering to and meeting with the people that he was ministering to, but he didn't. Now, with these three rights, it's important to note that as Paul builds his case, that they are indeed apostolic rights. I want you to notice, though, that Paul is not condemning others who have availed themselves to these rights, right? He's not knocking the other apostles. He's not knocking, like, the brothers of Jesus. He's not knocking Cephas for availing them to these rights. Rather, he goes actually on to make a rock-solid case for those who minister in word and prayer, that they have a rightful claim for provision from the church. Look at verse seven. It says, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Here, Paul is appealing to what I'll call common sense. He mentions a soldier, a farmer, and a shepherd. And what Paul is saying is that these three are paid to do a job. If a soldier gets drafted into the military, the government pays that one's salary to care for them. Why? Because he's doing a job on behalf of the people. And the whole point of verse 7 is of the soldier, the farmer, the shepherd, is that all three are fed and sustained from their own work. And Paul is saying, so too should the minister live by those who he ministers to. This is a right. Verse 8, he says, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? 
or does not the law also say these things? So he's not just saying like, hey guys, I'm just coming up with this own word of my, from myself. This isn't about selfish gain here. I'm not just even appealing to common sense. But he takes them back to the Old Testament. Look at verse nine. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25 verse four. And when, it's, when the Bible says here, do not muzzle the ox, when it's th- you're like, what does that even mean? Um, it's describing putting something over the mouth of the ox while they're treading grain to keep them from eating. And so the picture is of the ox working hard, working hard for you if you own that ox, working hard for your livelihood, for the betterment of your life. And how foolish, he says, would it be for you to keep that ox from eating and then having your ox burn out out of exhaustion. Wouldn't it be better just to feed him, care for him, tend for him, give him the water so that he can continue finishing the, th- the job of threshing? So Paul, he's taking them back to the law. He finishes verse nine by saying, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Like there's a, there's a, there's a deeper meaning here, all right? It's not just about oxen. I think Warren Wearsby said, since oxen cannot read, this verse was not written for them. <laughs> Like he's like, I'm no doctor, <laughs> but there's something for someone else here. And he says in verse 10, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Here he's alluding to a principle we find in Leviticus 19. Again, taking them to the Old Testament. We're given this biblical principle there that the laborer is worth his wage. He says in verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying, guys, we've sown spiritual things in all of you. You think about, he took, like, is it chapter one, chapter two? He says, like, I've planted, Apollos came alongside, watered, Peter's there as well. Like, we've sown spiritual things. We've poured into you the word of God. And he's saying, is it too much for, for us to reap provision from you? I want you to note that Paul's main point is not about a paycheck, though he has every right to one. He says again in verse 12, he says, we didn't use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying paid or unpaid, like it doesn't matter. What matters to Paul was whether or not the gospel was going out and being effective. So Paul says, guys, I have this right. I have every right to, for you to, 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 to give me food and shelter and provide for me and not only me, but my family and all of the apostles, but I choose not to use it. I lay down that right. Why? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the message that I proclaim. The apostle Paul found that it was more effective in his ministry if he didn't receive compensation for the work. And that was his calling. Now, so in these past few verses, Paul's been making his case of having this right as an apostle for 
for receiving provision from the church. And he's argued common sense. He's taken them back to the law of Moses. And look at verse 13. He, he brings up Jewish tradition and practice. He says, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their shares from the altar? Again, he's talking about those who work in the temple, the priests. They would have maintained the temple, right? The building, uh, the, the buildings decay over time. Someone has to care for the, and maintain the building. Someone has to carry all of the water, get things set up for all of the rituals. You think about all of the grain and the, and the metal or the, the meat and the oil and the money that were brought to the temple as sacrifices and offerings for all of these festiv festivities from Israel. Part of it would have been used in the sacrifice, but others or the rest of it would have been distributed out throughout the priesthood, throughout the Levites as compensation for their work in the temple. That's how God established it. They're laboring on behalf of Israel and Israel is supporting their needs. And so Paul's saying this is not a new tradition. So he argues the, the Jewish tradition and practice. And lastly, if those arguments weren't enough, he brings out the big guns. Look at verse 14. He says, so also the Lord, that is Jesus, directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now, in my study this week, nowhere in the gospel accounts do we have it recorded where Jesus commanded this like plain and just like direct. But I think perhaps that Paul is referencing Jesus in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, it's where Jesus instructed his disciples uh, when he sent them out to go and heal the sick and cast out demons and tell, and tell everyone in the surrounding villages that, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? He tells them, don't take your money back. Don't take provisions for yourself. But he says, receive whatever is offered to you, lodging, food, and drink. So Jesus himself, he commands those who are spreading the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to get their living from the gospel. In, in that same chapter in Luke 10, verse seven, Jesus would say, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians nine has thoroughly established that the church providing for an apostle and anyone responsible for ministering uh, to God's people in word and prayer is common sense. It's a biblical right, but it's also a command from Jesus. This isn't Paul's words. This is God's word. And he says in verse 15, but I have used none of these things. Wow. He says, I am not writing these things so that it will be done. So in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not in this for physical rewards. He is compelled. He's been set free from sin and death and the law from Jesus Christ. And so not only is he just going to just like sit back and live his best life now in the name of Jesus, he is actually going to go all out and be all in in sharing the good news of the gospel with them. And he says, for woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. 
Like this is a burning thing in my heart. This is a calling of God. He says, I should be miserable. I should be wretched and you should consider me as such if I don't do this. This isn't a calling. It's not Paul the apostle called by from Paul and it's his own identity and his own calling. No, no, this is from Jesus. He says, woe is me if I don't obey him in preaching the gospel. He says, like, I've seen the risen Lord. What else am I going to do with my life? Like, I have to bring the good news of the gospel to those who are lost. Verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, he says. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is his great reward, that he would bring the gospel to others with no strings attached. That he can walk into a pagan city in a, in a, in a worldly community and he can say, hey, there's plenty of charlatans out there. There are plenty of cult leaders out there. There are plenty of just bad dudes out there demanding things from you in the name of your spiritual growth. But this is different. He knew his context. He knew that Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is free and he wanted them not to be burdened by it. Paul's message again is that Jesus, the son of God, overcame sin and death so that we might live. And he's saying there's no catch at all to this message. And I don't want you to get confused by it. There's no entry free. There's no penance you must pay. There's no steps that you have to walk to get over the threshold. It's simply just come and believe. You grateful for that message? The the message of the gospel is turn away from your sin and turn to the Savior. Commit your life to him. It's it. That's it. It's simple. And why would this be Paul's great reward? Interesting. Because he's modeling his entire life after Jesus. He's patterning his life after Jesus. I think of Mark chapter 10 says this, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. Jesus gave salvation and deliverance for free. And maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. Maybe you are in bondage to your sin. The gospel says it's free. You can be freed of your sin today. There's no, you don't need a tithe. You don't need to put your offering in the plate. Like you don't need to serve in Sunday school. You can be set free today by just turning to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, let me ask me this morning, what are we patterning our lives after? Paul organizes his entire life around one question, how can I be more like Jesus as much as possible? And he's saying to the Corinthian church, I see your spiritual knowledge. I see your wisdom and all of that, but you're still living like the world. You're still living like the world. You're still living life to get what you want out of it, not what God can get out of it. And Paul is saying, as he's always said, hey guys, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the goal. That's the model. And I wonder this morning, how does this shape us? Whose advice are we most frequently seeking? 
Whose teachings are we most frequently engaging in? On our phones, in the books we read, the blogs that we read, the podcasts that we listen to, what's shaping your life? Listen, if we're going to be a church that seeks revival in the, in the city of Portland and all of our cities, and I hope that is our heart, there is no other place to begin than right here. With us, revival starts in this room and more specifically in my heart and in your heart that it might overflow and pour out into our city. And Paul is saying, pattern your life after Jesus. What was so significant about Jesus is that he had every right in the world and yet he gave up those rights to save me and to save you, to love me and to love you, to serve me and to serve you. And Paul says, would you pattern your life after Jesus? Paul here, he's modeling his entire life after him. And he's saying, if you want to talk about rights and freedoms, let's talk about my own and what I do with them. And he's made an ironclad case for his own rights, but he insists on laying them down for the sake of other people. Look at verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. This is what the gospel is all about, seeing unbelieving people become committed followers of Jesus. And he says in verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win Jews and to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, try to say that five times fast, so that I might win those who are, not, who are under the law. What he's saying is that when he was with Jewish people, he acted and he behaved as a Jew in matters of moral indifference. It's like when it came to dinner time, for instance, he ate the food, he abided by the dietary restrictions of the Jewish people so that they would not stumble. Now, I want you to note that Paul was, was not changing the message of the gospel. He was not watering down good doctrine to appease anyone nor is he engaging in sinful practices for the sake of evangelism. No, Paul merely adapted himself to the customs and habits of the people in order so that he might win them to Jesus. And, and he says in verse 21, to those who are without law, I live without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without the law. He says to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might, might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. When he was around the Gentiles, he says, I didn't live under the Jewish laws he did when he was around the Jews. Meaning that when he was around the Gentiles, he would leave behind the dietary restrictions of the Jewish law and tradition. Maybe if he was out to brunch, maybe he was throwing a couple slices of bacon, you know, on his plate. Like he was just like all for the gospel. Like how many, sign me up. Like if we're going to eat bacon for Jesus, like let's do this. That would be amazing. <laughs> but he does all of this while maintaining integrity of who he is. Not indulging in things that the gospel calls him away from. He says in verse 21, I was under the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Look at Luke 10. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, by maintaining that law, Paul was able to move in and out of these various circles and was effective for the gospel. 
You know, you think about different cultures. Different, we, we use different approaches ministering the gospel to these different cultures. We're not gonna go in and just set up, we're not gonna go to Uganda and set up like stage lights and smoke machines and like, like what would mirror the, the Western church and they're like, come to Jesus. Like, and like this prosperity gospel doesn't work over there. So what do we do? We become all things to all men. I love this. I shared this in first service. I went to Uganda for the very first time in March, give or take a month. It's been a long year. Um, how many of you know Anna Totten, Anna and Bob Totten? Okay. If you don't, Anna is, uh, she was from here. The Lord put it on her and her husband's heart to go and partner with Bill and Danielle there in Ashunga, Uganda. And Anna, to me, I loved Anna. I mean, she just always front row, shorts, and an a Oregon Ducks t-shirt. Like, that was Anna. Like, I just, she, there was nothing, nothing crazy fancy. She was just who she was. And, but going to Uganda, to minister to Ugandans, there's a diff- it's a different culture. The Ugandans expect women to be in dresses and skirts, men to be dressed a little bit nicer, you know, and not ragged and all of those things. And so I went to Uganda. She says, Pastor Ryan, this is the only time you're going to see me in a dress. (laughs) You know what I love about that? She was willing to put aside her preferences, put aside her wardrobe, put aside all of those things. Why? For the sake of the gospel. She wasn't sinning. And she knew she wouldn't be in sin for wearing her Oregon Duck t-shirt and her shorts and her flip-flops. But she knew, I love these people more than I love my Oregon Duck t-shirt, especially after yesterday's loss. Like, like, (laughs) just going to throw that in there. That was painful. (laughs) The point is this. Love people where they are. Don't try to, you know... Go to some other country and just be like, I am who I am, and they're going to accept me. No, no, no. Listen to this. I, I think of Hudson Taylor, famous missionary. He felt compelled by Jesus to take the gospel deep into inland China. And at this point, there were almost no other missionaries there. And so what he did is he spent time among them. He observed their culture, connecting with them, learning their culture and customs. And eventually we were told that he cut his hair in the local style. He dyed his hair black. A lot of the fellow missionaries were like, what are you doing? Like, you're an idiot or whatever. No, no, no. He traded out all of his suits for the local garb. He learned to read, write, and speak the language. He learned to cook and eat in the way that his new friends did. He stopped sitting in chairs and started sitting on the floor. Why? (laughs) Those are gray issues. Why would he change if you're so free in Christ? You know why he changed? So that, those who would, so that those who would know that Jesus came to serve and not be served. So that the, the Chinese would know that Jesus is not just a British God, but their God. So that they would know that the gospel does not compel us to assimilate, adapt to a given culture, but to repent of sin and to turn to Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. And so Paul is demonstrating that that love is willing to go the extra mile. Love is willing to adjust and serve so that by all means, those who have ears to hear would respond to the message about Jesus. You know, I cannot wait till we get to 1 Corinthians 13 because this whole letter just revolves to me around 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter in the Bible. But there's this one little verse there. It's tucked away that I just, every time I read it, it grabs my heart. And maybe because I'm guilty of this, but it says this in verse 5. It says, love does not insist on its own way. But I have every right. (laughs) 
but I love my shirt, but I love this, but I love, love does not insist on its own way. Love for others, love for the Lord. And so Paul has rights, but he surrenders them. He's free, but he chooses a life of a servant, all for the sake of Jesus and his mission. And perhaps, maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, that's a lot. You're like, I'm just an engineer. <laughs> I'm just an accountant. Like, I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Like, this, I'm not called to the ministry. <laughs> I'm just a Christian. <laughs> None of this really applies to me. I'm not a missionary, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a pastor. Listen, Paul would say nothing can be further from the truth. This applies to all of us. Let's look at verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. In professional sports, you play, I'm a huge sports fan, you play to win the game. That's how you, you, if you're in it for any other reason, like if you're just like good paycheck or I, I'm here just for the fans or whatever, like that's nice, but I don't want you on my team. Like we play to win the game. An athlete's life is bent towards one thing, the finish line, getting there as quick as possible. Listen, some of us this morning, we're running aimlessly. We're running aimlessly. Paul would say, run that you may receive the prize. Look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But he says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have Preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let me ask us, what race are we running? Listen, some of you might be running the wrong race this morning. You might be running after your career, the next paycheck, right? The next bonus. You might be running after the next relationship. You might be running after approval or some sense of security in your life. Listen, none of it is working and you know it. God knows it. I'm just telling it to you. None of it will work. Run this race, Paul says. Christ has already won the prize for you. Run this race. Again, some of you this morning are running aimlessly. You're just bouncing around from one thing to another like there's no path ahead. You might say with your lips, especially on Sundays, oh, Jesus is my life, but you're living your life really for the next event, the next Instagrammable moment, the next movie that'll make you feel good, the next experience that you can just do that will just light you on fire, Right? give you that next high. Whatever it is, it's full of emptiness. It won't satisfy. Someone, someone uh, told me about a blog that they read, uh, wrote, no, read from, um, what's his name? Oh, Max Lucado, great author. Um, says, man, it's like drinking from a, a gallon of salt water in the middle of a desert. That's running your race after your career. That's running your race after the next whatever, fill in the blank. And for all of us, it's different. It's like, it's like drinking a gallon of salt water in the desert. It will only kill you. It will not satisfy. I think if the author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
He says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe the reason that we're so exhausted and tired in life is because we're bouncing around aimlessly. We're running from one thing to another, trying to figure this out. And maybe we're doing it because we're hurting. Maybe you're hurting, you're trying to, trying to numb the pain. Listen, there's only one place you can get healing. There's only one place. Those other things will not satisfy. They will only distract you for a period of time. Listen, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that what we want is rest for our souls. In him there is healing, not in that other stuff. It says run the race with purpose. And listen, some of us, we understand this intellectually. Like we know this, we can quote the Bible about this. We can make good theological arguments. We can give, you know, we're ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us, but we've forgotten the most important thing, love for others, love. And Paul would say, you are like a boxer beating the air. It looks super impressive, but it does nothing. It'll wear you out. Paul would say, fix your eyes back on Jesus. See his great love for you. And when you experience that love, he says, in turn, love and serve others with that same love that you've received. Paul exhorts us, run in a manner worthy of the prize. Why? Not because we need to earn it, but because it's been earned for you. We're now free because of what Jesus has done for us. We're free to run. We're free to love. We're free to serve others with our lives. We're not set free so that we can get promotions and just be all about our career and the fancy house. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Like be a good steward with your finances and like have the nice house, invite me over for dinner or whatever. But like, but like serve Jesus with your life. The psalmist would say, I will run according to your ways because you've set my heart free. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Professional athletes, they exercise self-control in all things and they do it for a reward that is corruptible, it's perishable, it's a wreath. You think of all five billion of Tom Brady's Super Bowl rings. <laughs> They're all eventually gonna corrode and pass away and his name will eventually be forgotten. Your race is being run for an incorruptible, imperishable, eternal prize. Run your race with Jesus. You think about an athlete, a true good athlete refuses things that might be fine in themselves, right? But will hinder the pursuit of their goal. If you're thinking about a boxer, he's probably gonna lay off the Big Mac. Why? Because he has a goal that he's trying to achieve. He wants to get ripped and fit and ready to win. Oh, but the Big Mac's fine. Yes, it is fine, but it's not gonna help him achieve the goal. And so too, the Corinthians, Paul is saying, you ought to refuse certain things that are fine in themselves. The meat sacrifice to idols is fine, but because 
You, because having them may hinder the pursuit of the most important goal, the glory of God and bringing others to the kingdom of God. That imperishable crown, a heavenly reward that will never pass away. What race are you running? The call this morning is fix your eyes on Jesus. What life, whose life are you modeling your life after? Model your life after Jesus, though he had every right in the world, and he did. He laid them down for you and I. We're going to close this morning with communion. If you, if you were not handed a packet, go ahead and raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you one. It looks like this, and there's two tabs. The first tab is, gives you access to the bread. The second tab gives you access to the cup, and we'll, we're going to participate and partake together. But before we do so, I want to read thinking about Jesus and his example to us, Philippians chapter two. Just as you're opening this packet, it says this, in your relationship with one another. What a good call. What a, I mean, this is what we're, we're, we've been studying. Like, how do we relate to one another in light of the gospel? In your relationship with one another, it says this, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. For you and for me. Think of John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for you. And we celebrate that this morning. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, for you, uh, this is just um, a wafer and this is just juice. Like it's, it means nothing. But for us who believe, this is everything. Our justification, our sanctification, one day our glorification is in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But if you don't know Jesus, you're like, I'm not a Christian, but maybe I want to be one. We want to pray for you. The invitation is open for you. I never want a moment to pass by that I don't say, hey, if you want to know Jesus, who this Jesus says more, you want to give your life to Jesus, we want to pray for you. And as the lights go down and the worship team sings, like before we move on to this, would you come forward and just say, I, don't, I have an incomplete understanding, but I want to follow Jesus. I want what you have. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.